I like that theory a lot, actually. Do you? Yeah. You, you, you like something I presented? I know. I'm I'm uh, just as surprised as you. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it kind of cool, though? It, this, this was the theory that I believe in the most. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to the Two to Ramble podcast, episode number 59. I'm Richard. I'm Austin. And today we're going into 10... Lord of the Rings theories that maybe you haven't thought about, maybe you have. I think it's going to be fun to bounce these back and forth and just stuff that we've been thinking about. Conspiracy theories, and most of these we didn't come up with. We we looked, yes. we sought these out, and we each have five theories the other person hasn't read. Yep. We, we told, hey, mine's generally about this. Don't look into this. So when we mm-hmm. did our research, I have five theories you haven't heard of. You have five I haven't heard of. And I heard this is a good trick for retention, Richard. You ready? Ooh. Number four of mine is my favorite. So keep, stay in the video to find out what number four is. To I, I, I don't know. I thought that was a good thing to do. Uh, yeah. d- did it work? Are you still here? I, they're either watching or they're not. At this point, you're 59 <laughs> yeah. episodes in. Listen, I'll, I'll be honest. Number one is my favorite. You could just watch that and click off the video, okay? Okay, number four is actually really great. But uh, we're going to start with you. Go back with me. We'll go back and forth. Conspiracy mm. theories from Lord of the Rings. These Some of mine are nutty. I don't know about yours, but... Some of mine are out there, far-fetched. All right, I have some fun ones, and then some more serious ones with research back from, like, Tolkien's own writings and, like, what you can glean from his letters. Yes, okay, good. And also, before we, I ask you what your first is, we're doing this because we're watching The Return of the King back in theaters in hours from now. I am and very excited for that one. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So, now, let's begin. What is All your right. first conspiracy theory? Not much as conspiracy theory, uh-huh. starting off, is a mystery. One of the mysteries from Lord of the Rings is, where are the darn Entwives? Oh, this is my favorite. Where have the Entwives gone? And this is a personal favorite moment of mine when reading the books. My favorite part of the Two Towers and one of my favorite parts of the series was actually reading the section where Treebeard talks about how the Entwives are gone and wondering, well, where the hell did they go? Yeah. I remember actually like finishing that chapter putting the book aside and just putting it off to the side and going on my computer and like looking up well where did the end wives go and just going down this rabbit hole of like oh it, by the way spoilers i guess oh yeah sure. we're going we're talking lord of the rings so spoilers <laughs> but mainly the prevailing theory is the more standard theory the answer is that the end wives went to uh the to make a garden east of the Fangorn Forest, which is in the Third Age known as the Brownlands, because Sauron basically burned everything when he was on his cam- on his campaign okay. in the Second Age. And so the, the Entwives are presumed dead. However, there are some interesting little theories on maybe some of them survived. Ah. It... So the first thing that I came across during my research was a very interesting tale. About, so, for example, I just want to give a point out to you and to the audience as you can see on screen where exactly the Entwives are supposedly where they went and then where they are now gone. It is they died. They set up their gardens and died around here that's not fact though that's theory right it, it that is more it is more fact that that's where they went after after they broke apart from the ents so the ents that, the male ents knew that the the ent wives went to the brown lands no they they knew they went somewhere but not other, to the brown lands but they yeah. know somewhere out there but then it is confirmed that the uh the ent wives gardens were where the Brownlands currently are. Okay. And so, now did any of them survive? That's the more mis. That's the more mysterical mystery thing to hear. We get did that. you say mysterical? I know. I'm. I'm all over. The place. Yeah, okay. It's fine. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> you make fun of me way less than you really should. <laughs> but anyway, there is this. Um, there was this man who actually, in 1971, he actually drew. A, and drew and painted a map with like pens of Middle Earth and got to show his map to Tolkien himself and actually got to meet him and talk with him. And Tolkien himself took the map, really was impressed by it, 
and wrote notes in the margins and in little spaces on that fan-drawn map of just little answers to some questions that the kid had. And in one part of it, it shows uh, in, in one, of the, one of the edits there that the here may be Entwives. So Tolkien himself actually giving a clue to like, maybe this is where they went after. So on this on this kid's, or adults, who I don't know how yeah, old he was. I, I, you, I think you called him kid at one point. I, he was a kid when he drew he it. He was. He was a kid when he drew it, but I mean. He's an adult now. In 1971, he was a kid. So with this kid drew a great map. Tolkien put little X marks a spot of maybe the Entwives are here. as a little nod to go, hey. Yeah. A little, so he said, what does Tolkien say specifically? Does he say maybe? Or what's the word uh, he uses? Here may be Entwives. Here may be Entwives. Okay. So not a full they're like ah yeah this is where it is but it is interesting to mm. look to look at this that this little forest may be where some of them have survived and to get more of the narrative but Tolkien actually did talk about what uh, what his intentions are with the story yeah. of the breaking up of these uh, of the Ents and the Entwives mainly that all of the old guard going into the fourth age are dying away and that it is becoming the age of men. So the eagles, the elves, the the ants, the even the dwarves kind of go underground and won't really interact with men as much that it transitions into our modern day age. So it is not really intended for the ants or the wives to ever get back together again. They are supposed to kind of die off in a, in a narrative way. That so makes sense. That is... It's more of the sad narrative of it where I'm thinking, oh, maybe the ants would find, maybe mm. they would find each other again. Most likely not. Because Tolkien, correct me if I'm wrong, was creating more of a prehistory to an Anglo-Saxon culture. Yeah. My understanding is that when William the Conqueror came in 1066, damn, I'm good with my, did you see that date? I pulled out <laughs> Battle of Hastings like that. <laughs> it's not impressive whatsoever. Everyone knows. It's impressive to me. I, I can't remember dates very I, well. I can impress you. The audience is like, Austin, that's, everybody knows. <laughs> so when William the Conqueror came into England, I, I believe all the Anglo-Saxon and the prehistory there was pretty much eradicated. There, so the history of England, the, the the past, there's just it's very murky. We don't know. We don't have a lot of history though. So Tolkien's intention was to create this Anglo-Saxon folklore, this type of this this culture and this intrigue in this world. And as a part of that, was creating the backstory, which was Lord of the Rings. And here here too, he's trying to say, hey, this could be real. So he's putting the mystery of, hey, there used to be elves and dwarves and Ents, but now it's the Age of Man to make it more the translate. A uh, common thread that is supposed to be... Wait, am I the, wrong or right there? You are right. I am right, okay. That actually, Mirkwood, the forest, is actually the a real forest. And so that's supposed to be a Neat. connection to the, the real world. Okay, very cool. Is that the end of your Entwise theory? That is, that is the uh, end of the Entwise, and it's something that I've... But yeah. Where do you think? Do you think that any of them may have survived? Did, did some... Uh, there's some theories that they've actually been, they survived outside the Shire, that maybe humans took them as slaves to actually oh. grow their produce because they were great gardeners. And so man used Entwives to actually harvest and grow food. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, so this... that's, some of the th that's some of the theories. Oh, what if it's a, this, how long ago did the Entwives disappear? I mean, they, they ended at the, Basically, the end of the second age after the uh, after Sauron's defeat. When did men appear? I'm oh god, you're you're killing me on what? my actual lore. They men appeared. I have a crackpot theory. If... The in the roughly in the beginning of the second age. And when did the Entwives disappear? At the end of the second age. Okay, so men appeared before the Entwives disappeared. Yes, I had a crackpot theory of the hobbits like ate the Entwives and grew into men. <laughs> that That's where I was going with that. I, I, timeline doesn't work. No. Because here's the thing, with my theories, mine are way more crackpot than yours. You oh, had okay. some research into that Entwives one. I have some ones you're, that are ludicrous. Yeah. I don't even believe some of them, but I also do. It's going to be... But as far as your question of where do I think the Entwives are, I think the best part about your theory there is that Tolkien drew on the map, like they may be here. 
Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean they are here. He's probably being... Tolkien actually said in letters he intended this to be vague. He did yeah. not want to fully answer it and kind Absolutely. of put a stamp on the Ents and the Ent wives will never see each other in Middle-earth again. It's meant to be a mystery. Yes. So it's more of a hint. Maybe they're there, but they will never come together again. Yeah. I, I think that's the answer to it then. I don't yeah. have a... a a theory beyond that do you, but do you want to hear a really wacky one yeah let's, let's transition this into a wacky one okay okay your theory is hey the wives may be here and first off you didn't give us a solid answer i don't appreciate that i'm going to give you firm <laughs> answers here of what actually okay. happened these these conspiracy theories are real All so right. in lord of the rings this conspiracy theory Gollum murdered frodo's parents poppycock <laughs> how <laughs> Okay, you're going to have to explain that one to me. Hear me out, okay? Okay. This is, again, it's a crackpot theory. Listen, listen here. So how did Frodo's parents die? Do you remember? Aren't they mentioned they died at some sickness? No. No, no, not a sickness. It was a boating incident and accident. Because when Gaffer, and uh, Gaffer was explaining in this little inner, I think they were in the Green Inn, I don't know where, but Mm -hmm. Gaffer's always detained stories. But anyways, they were talking about Mr. Drogo and his wife uh brandy buck i forget her first name uh pepperdine was it frodo's mother i forget that forget her name but anyways frodo's parents went out on and i'm gonna quote gaffer here he mr droger went out boating on the brandywine river and he and his wife were drowned and poor frodo only a child and all and then someone else says i've heard they went on the water after dinner in the moonlight said old noakes and it was Drogo's way to sunk the boat and then someone else jumps in sandy man says and i heard she pushed him in and he pulled her in after him, said Sandy Man, the Hobbit, Hobbiton Miller. And then Gaffer says, you shouldn't listen to all you hear, Sandy Man. Uh, there isn't no call to go talking and pushing and pulling. Boats are quite tricky enough for those that sit still and, you know, goes on. So there, there's all these theories, people going like, oh, did someone get pushed in? Did this happen? Now listen to this, okay? Listen to this. A mysterious boat accident. Mysterious boat accident. What happened 30 years prior to this is Bilbo took the ring from Gollum and gave Gollum two pieces of information. He said to Gollum, he mentioned his name was Baggins and he's from the Shire. Okay? Yeah. He mentioned these two things and Gollum obviously wanted to get the ring back. Why didn't he go seek out and track Bilbo? Well, guess what? Frodo asked the question in the books. Frodo asked the question saying to Gandalf, why didn't he track Bilbo further? Had that question for him, right? Yeah. And here's what happened. Gandalf said, why didn't he come to the Shire? You know, he's answering Frodo, and Gandalf says, now we come to it. I think Gollum tried to. He set out and came westward as far as the Great River, and then he turned aside. He, by the way, my Gandalf impression, my Ian McClellan, it's terrible. I, I, have, I have no McClellan voice. But then he basically says, so Gollum, but he turned aside. He was not daunted by the distance, I'm sure. No, something else drew him away. So my friends think, those that hunted him for me. So Gandalf says something drew Gollum away from hunting down Bilbo and says he only made it as far as the Great River, which could be the Anduin River is what Gandalf is referring to here. Now, what the theory is, is that Gollum being a a sure, what what are they called? A sure hobbit, the ones that are good as river folk. And you've seen him. He's very good at fishing and whatnot in the boats. That this something else that drew him away is he went toward to, he went toward the Shire and stumbled into these Bagginses, and they, he heard their last name, Baggins. Killed them, thinking it was Bilbo, because remember, Gollum never saw Bilbo with his eyes. They were only hearing each other when the riddles were happening and whatnot. He never caught sight of Bilbo's face. So when he hears Baggins and when he hears Shire, he goes and he kills Mr. Drogo. He kills Frodo's mom, thinking he killed them, was looking for the ring, couldn't find it, and then... Gollum, out of repentance, or was it fear, or was it something else, after he did this and couldn't get the ring, flees backward and goes back to whence he came. That's the theory. Poppycock. <laughs> the, the interesting- Your theory's boring. My theory's crazy and it's better, okay? Here's the thing. I actually can kind of get on board on... Gollum actually going down and killing his parents. The thing that doesn't make sense to me yeah, yeah. is what the hell turned him away. That's the that's the, the more confusing thing. So here here's the thing that would have turned him away. He killed the Baggins. There's no ring. 
So we know that Gollum has these two personalities. You know, Gollum mm-hmm. wants to kill, and then the kind Gollum, that the the Schmeagol, yeah, right? You have Schmeagol out here who has is his angel. There's the angel devil on his shoulder, and his angel personality, his Schmeagol, his normal self. After the killing happens, after Gollum kills Schmeagol's and going, no, we shouldn't have killed you know, and then flees because of Gollum's split personality. That's mm. the that's what the theory is saying is may you know he he kills couldn't find the ring and goes oh what I just do and then goes back. Mm. Listen, it's a theory, it's a theory. All right, at least okay. it's a fun theory. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it, that's literally drilled into my it's head. It's a theory, <laughs> and that's just. <laughs> so, what do you think? Is this a qualified stamped approval theory? Honestly, it does kind of make some sense because. A span of thirty years. Why the hell would what would actually stop Gollum from at least like some reference that maybe the Shire should at least Bilbo should have at least had an encounter. You would think Gollum would have thirty years to do it to find the Shire. You would think he would find Bilbo. Now the there, there's also some dates of Gollum while Frodo's parents died. He was with Shelob in in the year that they died. Now, it could still work if in the same year he could be with Shelob and Shelob's lair and also across... It would... The timing's very... It almost disqualifies it's, it. Oh, okay. But it's like, hey, it's possible. <laughs> All right. The, the, the theory stretched, but I, I always found it interesting because I never thought about the question of how did Frodo's parents die other than, hey, it's just a boating accident. And it's kind of yeah. fun to take it to the extreme of, hey, the Entwives disappeared okay, let me draw up a, bo- a conspiracy theory board of what exactly <laughs> happened. So it's just an interesting one. I myself actually don't believe it, but I thought it was cool. <laughs> That's why I, I'm saying, hey, yeah. for those listening, remember, number four is my favorite, so just stick around. <laughs> what do you think of the theory? Is it kind of crazy? Because I know it, you said it, it has, has some validity, but... It is, but it's it honestly is an interesting question of what would, uh, what would Gollum do and the fact that, you know, the bag has died in a boating accident it is weird however also, they, they apparently were mm. de- like there's a brandy buck so not bad swimmers so something must have happened it's just yeah because most hobbits aren't good swimmers and they deliberately stay away from boats mm-hmm. but the brandy bucks are competent competent with boats they're the weird hobbits yeah. that are okay on boats yeah you know, but, I'm glad you didn't completely dismiss the theory in the end. Thank you. No, no, no. That was completely. very loving. Yeah. I think you're just happy because we're watching Return of the King soon. I am. I'm very excited for that. All right. What What is your second crackpot theory? The second one is actually about the fox, the talking fox in the Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. It, oh, no, no. Yeah. The talking Lord fox? of the Rings and the, the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. So now, I, I'm I, read I actually don't I don't remember this that well. I read I read the books, but don't. So how much was the talking fox in this? This was right before the ring wraith comes across um, the hobbits on the road, the first encounter. Okay, so right super before, early on, super early on, where um. So I'm gonna read off the passage. Okay. Is a fox passing through the wood on business of his own stopped several minutes and sniffed. Hobbits, he thought. Well, what next? I have heard of strange doings in this land, but I have seldom heard of a hobbit sleeping out of doors under a tree. Three of them. There's something might queer behind this. He was quite right, but he never found out more than about this. He never found out more about this. Oh my God. I, I, right. I completely forgot about that. So, so what's the theory here about this talking fox? So the literary explanation is that in the hobbit this type of you know more intelligent animal makes more sense in the hobbit because it just fits a more children's story and that this is a transition into like before that moment before the not before the nazgul mm. people may be reading the hobbit and then they go into lord of the rings and before that there's maybe this is kind of like the transition between hobbit and the more serious Lord it's Tolkien being like, hey, get ready, you know. He, yeah, but it's, this, it's still Hobbit it. tonish wise. Easing the reader. And then right. after that, it goes right into a more adult, adult leap. So that's uh, the boring literary answer. That's the boring literary What's answer. the conspiracy theory? Come the on now, more give it to me. fun conspiracy theory actually believes that this fox is a descendant or some type of fox that came from Numenor. I like it. <laughs> I like it. And... <laughs> to go further in explanation, yeah. so there are several t- 
talking creatures, like, of course, the eagles, and you'd go in, I mean, eagles, there's kind of the bears that can kind of talk, the shapeshifter, and, but often those are more great beings and their descendants from more godly beings, or even Shadowfax. Shadowfax understands human language. Can't talk, though, right? Can't talk, but neither does the fox. The fox doesn't oh, thanks. talk, but not just thinks, thinks in complete sentences. Right. In full, complete, human-like thought. Yeah. Is very strangely worded in that way, for mm-hmm. a fox to think that way. But same, Shadowfax, we know, understands what, uh, you know, actual human language. Right. But... Beyond that, there's actually talk with from Numenor that they reference uh, in the. Uh, let me pull this up. I believe it's in the. Oh, gone. Come here. I'm trying to find out the book that it was. Rep- it's nature, the nature of Middle Earth, or um, yes, the nature of Middle Earth. Okay, talks about how. Numenor, they had a bunch of these different critters and that they didn't actually use wolves, they didn't use dogs, they didn't use uh, feline animals, but they actually had a lot of foxes. And foxes were kind of their pet of choice on Numenor that would take care of critters and often were very domesticated. And so further on, it doesn't reference like specifically talking fox, but it Mm -hmm. does reference it Numenor that the... Um, that the bears actually had, to a certain degree, good intelligence, uh, more more than normal intelligence. So, you know, let me, oh, let me pull it up here. So, the bears themselves were actually invited in to the Numenorians' homes. They are actually kind of like guests. The the female, the women Numenorians would invite squirrels, and they would be invited into their homes, dance, and all this stuff. So. There's a strange kinship relationship between the Numenorians, bears, squirrels, and particularly foxes. And so the theory is that this uh, fox from the Fellowship of the Ring is actually a descendant of the Numenorian um, species of fox. I am completely down with this theory other than one thing. Huh. Your theory is titled Talking Fox. <laughs> the fox isn't oh, technically on my talking. Notes. In your notes, it says in the title, <laughs> you have talking fox, you liar. <laughs> it's, it's a hyper-intelligent fox. It's a hyper-intelligent fox. That understands that, human language. Yes. That has internal dialogue. Yes. But doesn't talk. And doesn't make sense in the rest <laughs> of the story. Because we don't see that anywhere else. I kind of, I love this theory. I, I see no flaws. Yeah, <laughs> I I think so far we are changing the world of we are right now changing Middle Earth. Uh, these are not our theories, by the way. These are the, well, oh, uh, to give to give a more quote from the nature of Middle Earth. Yeah, uh, of the lands of beasts of Numenor, um, it references the foxes were esteemed as the best and most natural way of keeping them in order. The foxes were seldom hunted or molested in return, or because of their food supply was otherwise abundant. The foxes seemed never to have acquired the habit of preying upon the domestic fowl of the Numenorians. It continues on. The relations of the bears and men were strange. For uh, From the first, the bears exhibited friendship and curiosity toward the newcomers. These feelings were returned. Uh, many of the bears were quite tame. They never dwelt in or near the homes of men, but they would often visit them in the casual manner of one householder calling upon another. At, the, at times, the bears would perform dances for the entertainment of their human friends. So hyper-intelligent animals. So the fact that they talk about how these animals were fairly hyper-intelligent, uh. it's theorized that these foxes survived. Now, you would have to then question, how did this fox survive the downfall of Numenor? I would say it, came, it got on one <gasps> of the ships. It's Tom Bombadil's fox. <laughs> no. Oh, that's not where you're going. No, I mean no. Uh, the. I mean, Isildur actually survived the fall of Numenor because they all left on boats. I'm assuming a fox got on the boat, and or that started Tom the Bombadil saved the We're fox. We're getting to Tom Bombadil. <laughs> I, I, We're getting. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> no, good, no. Rich, good theory. Okay. Good theory. I like that. I really do. And I don't okay. think because I haven't researched it 
mm-hmm. at all. I have no counter. I think it makes Good. sense. Yes, just believe all that I tell you. This will be the one exception. <laughs> when it comes to Lord of the Rings, I want to be- believe things in Lord of the Rings. The, the more fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that theory. Seriously. Okay. okay, now do you want to hear my second theory that I found for you? Yeah. It's about Gollum again. This is my last Gollum one, I promise. Okay. But I was fixated on Gollum. Mm-hmm. This, mind you, audience that's listening here, this is more of a film Lord of the Rings theory. It does have book support, which I'll get into, but it's mainly film, and I'm going to show a clip that supports this, okay? Okay. So, not not yet. I'll first explain what the theory is, is Gollum's personality, the Gollum, Gollum, isn't just Schmeagol Gollum. The Gollum is a personality of the ring, meaning the ring elicits Gollum from whoever bears it. Basically, Gollum is the personified, the personified protector of the ring. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, you know, first, I- I'm saying this incorrectly, but it, it's the personification it's a, of yeah, the ring it's itself. It's personification of the ring itself, whereas it has a personality of its own. And one big question brought up before I show this clip is, so why doesn't this Gollum personality just bring it to Sauron? Well, this Redditor here I'll post up said this. Maybe it's more, Gollum is more of a self-protection feature where the the ring wants to be protected and not destroyed and so to give Sauron a chance to find it and get the ring bearer to bring it to Sauron eventually. So instead of the Gollum feature bringing to destroy the ring, it's a, you know, you keep the ring, keep it there long enough so that when Sauron returns one day, the ring will be there for him to take. So it's that okay. kind of theory, right? And so here's why it's more so a theory of the films. Let's watch this clip real quick. And when when you click play here, listen carefully to what Bilbo Baggins says. This is in Fellowship of the Ring. Listen very carefully, all right? Play from here. Not by you. Ah, my business isn't of yours when I do with my own. Pause. You hear that? So when Bilbo turned, did you hear him go? Ah. Did yeah. you hear that? So it's almost like he said Gollum. The ring's personality is coming out a bit. So he goes, when he turns. And also, what's one big similarity is Bilbo here says, my precious. Gollum says, my precious. Isildur in the books, this is confirmed, when he's first... uh, My precious. He calls it my precious. And that's how Gandalf finds out, helps find out what the ring is when he's looking in Fellowship of the Ring. So all of them say it's my precious. In the film, Bilbo seems to be saying Gollum. They all have this personality elicited from it. So the theory is being that Gollum himself is a manifestation of the ring, not just... It, people don't get swayed differently. It, it is all this one person. It's taking... This, this personality takes over their being. Yes. And it's the same person. And, oh, which may be actually far more interesting to see which one has dominant control. Yeah. So the weaker-willed ones, or ones that have been burdened the longest the Gollum persona takes over more completely. Like where, with Schmeagol. With Schmeagol. Yeah. Versus with Frodo or Bilbo. It comes out in quick moments, but doesn't stay for long. It's not Seconds. In- you saw it with Bilbo. Seconds was all it was. And, can't, and with them, they can't really have like a dialogue with themselves. They can't have a dialogue with Gollum because it's just not, it just doesn't have the same control over them. Where yep. um, Schmeagol. Schmeagol. You can, because they've just been interacting that long. Yes. I like that theory a lot, actually. Do you? Yeah. You you, you like something I presented? I know. <laughs> I'm I'm uh... just as surprised as you. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it kind of cool, though? It, this this was the theory that I believe in the most out of mm-hmm. all the ones I'm presenting. Still, number four is my favorite. <laughs> I'll stop with that, I promise. <laughs> the, that, it actually has some credence to it. I really yeah. think so. The film, more so because you see that there. Mm-hmm. And I, but even the book support with the sealed or calling it my precious, you could still get into the lore and be like, hey, there's some, there's some credibility here. Now, the boring, the the more boring oh, answer in the talk no. about it. Now, getting into what the nature of the ring is supposed to be in yeah. the story of how it's absolute evil, like just it is the manifestation manifestation of evil that and. A point of like kind of Catholicism, Christianity in itself is man cannot actually conquer evil themselves. That's like you can resist, you can be strong, but ultimately only God can actually conquer evil. It's one of those things of the ring is supposed to be unconquerable. And so the sins of it, man. It's supposed to be a corruption nature. 
it'd be odd for it for the ring to actually kind of scapegoat the individual. Mm. You know, because narratively speaking, it's supposed to be the individual is corrupted by the ring, not taken over by like yeah. an alternate personality. Yeah. Because then it would be like, oh, well, that's actually not Isildur. That's actually Gollum talking. Oh, right. And that and is, that that is when be... I was looking through this theory, the number mm-hmm. one thing people brought up, you brought up their exact point, and that, hey, it kind of it could defeat the purpose of what the ring is yeah. meant to do. And, yeah, so it's it's not confirmed. It's just a fun thing to think about. <laughs> uh, but I, that's why I think the film leans into it more, whereas the books, I think when we're talking book lore specifically, you're exactly right. Like, the, the ring is meant to do that. But if you lean into more of the movie lore, it could be believed that because Peter Jackson definitely took a little liberty here and there to change the story slightly. So yeah. he could have leaned more into that than Tolkien actually intended it to go. Sure. That's what I, I like to think. I can see it more with the movies. Yes. Yeah. The movies are more of an action, action adventure story where the books are more fantastical world and fellowship. It's not really psychological. Act- yeah. It, it's an adventure, but not really an action adventure. Yeah. Well, hey, cool. I'm glad yeah. you, glad you didn't hate that theory. What what is your third theory, Rich? This one it, it's all about Tom Bombadil. Yes. Mainly, who is he? Hell yeah. What is he? All this. And before I give mine, because I think mine is correct. What? I, I think the I think I have the actual answer to mm. it. It makes the most sense, and it's simplicity. It's I think it's perfect. There's some this, fun theories. This theory it. is real. This, yes. this is fact. Now, even beyond, it's not actually confirmed by Tolkien because Tolkien deliberately said that, um, so uh, to quote one of his letters from the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien, he says, and even in a mythical age, there must be some enigmas as there always are. Tom Bombadil is one intentionally. So Tolkien has always wanted Tom Bombadil to be an enigma, unexplained, nothing. He gives nothing about it. But I think um, this the theory I have is correct. So who do you think Tom Bombadil is? What do you think he is? I don't know. I'm excited to find out. I, I want to I hear your, like, what you first thought so when you read the things I've heard, I've heard people say he's part of the Maori. I've heard the one of, the, I, I don't know the technical terms as well as more. I know I, I say I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. I just don't know all the technical terms the Valar or the I've heard he's one of those mythical mythical might be even the wrong word you get what I'm saying the angel like he might be one of Gandalf's I've heard stuff like that which I I don't have any credibility behind that that's what I've heard I don't have any theory of my own I think they're all bunk all All of those those are bunk because I don't think it makes sense I I need to know I have no idea who Tom Bombadil is to give to give a more backstory on the creation of Middle Earth is the whole world came from a song. So the god of this universe is called Ur. Ah, God. Apologies for all the mispronunciations. Before you say this pronunciation, uh huh. I don't want you ever making fun of me reading on the screen, mispronouncing anything. Anytime I do, no more of that. Refuse. I'll make fun of you all the live long day. Fine, then try to pronounce this. Go ahead. <laughs> try me. Uru uh, Iluvatar. And he taught... That wasn't that bad, by the way. That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the one... The, that is God in the in Middle-earth. Okay. And he conceived uh, of the Ainur, and he taught them how to create music and sing. Mm. And the the... The Anur actually sang right, you're showing and basically off. No. create. You're showing off with that. <laughs> you're saying that whatever word that is. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Is it I can't say you're saying it? It's just because I could roll my R's and you can't. <laughs> I know. Hey, there you go. Ah, <laughs> got him. Anyway, so they actually sang. The, the whole uh, first stage talked a lot about the music 
and that actually created the world and created everything mm. and the harmony that when they harmonize together it creates this beautiful uh, world and all these different elements come into being okay however at the same time there was some dissonance uh, created by one of the Valar uh, one of the Anuar which is um, something that was off note yeah well dissonant is not necessarily off note a dissonant is more like um, unexpected sound something chaos. that's chaos okay chaos but it's it fits it was this chaotic unexpected sound that comes from and oh god it's gonna uh Mel- melkor he oh, was the he's the big bad kind of he was the master of sauron okay so when he added in his own tones it created um the the creature god again tolkien you got to you got to stop with all these names you're killing my brain um on 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 goliant okay and that that's where the creature came from is and this was the great spider so you know how uh, she she love Yep. The spider in the cave and all. She is a descendant of oh. the great evil, which is um, Un- Goliath, who worked with uh, Melkor in uh, the destruction of uh, Valinar and all this great evil. Okay. So that is the first big evil spider. And that came from the distant chaos. and Unexpected. No one predicted it. God did not intend it to happen. But it uh. happened anyway. The theory is that Tom Bombadil actually is a byproduct of the harmony of the Anuar. During the creation of the world, from the harmony outsprung Tom Bombadil. And from the dissonant and the chaotic nature of the song when Melkor started uh, adding his own, own tunes, came Ungoliant. Un- and so they are opposite halves. In, in this kind of universe. One from the chaotic dissonance and one from the beautiful harmony. And to something that actually kind of really fits with it is when we're first introduced to Tom Bombadil, he's always singing. He's always, he, from the power of song, he's actually able to whisk away problems. It, he, can, he can actually whisk his own world in and out. He can literally take his whole home and make it disappear, make it appear. And that's something that, so to get even a little further, I know people are probably confused at this point, but uh, um, uh, Valinar, which is where the elves go uh, when, you know, when they're leaving Middle Earth is completely separate from the world. You know, when God actually just like made the whole flat earth round, took Valinar just like, Put it off to the side. It's separate. The theory is that Tom Bombadil can do the same to his little piece of land that he wants. He can just pop it in and out of Middle Earth whenever he wants. It completely out of existence into existence. So this kind of ultimate power that's above anything else that we see in Middle Earth or even the Valar, he comes from the little creation of the world. That Tom is the theory. Bombadillo. <laughs> that makes so much sense. Yeah. Now, question. Yeah. About this theory. I'm going to test you here. So, of the harmony that was created, we don't know of anything that was created from the harmony. We know the world. The J- world oh, itself. Okay. The world itself was created from the harmony. So, this whole but we song don't know is created if Tom from Bombadillo, in addition, was not. That's not fact. That's where the theory extends. Yes. It, it is mainly taking the side of. When they are creating the world through this harmonic Harmony, yeah. song, during during the process, they're creating the trees, they're creating Middle Earth, they're creating uh, Valar, they're doing all this stuff. And this is with the god and who else? This is the Anur. Anur. Uh, An- Anur, yeah. Anur, Jesus. Uh-huh. Anur, and part of one of the Anur is Melkor, which is the fallen angel. Yep. He's basically Satan <laughs> of, of the world. And when he adds his dissonance and his kind of chaotic tone to the song, he, he creates spider. He creates Ungoliant. Un- Ungoliant. And then she And so from we Ungoliant. know that unintended, unintended beings and powers can come from this song. It's not Yeah. It's not all controlled. And so that's the theory is Tom wow. came from the harmonic side to kind of balance out the powers. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a great I 
one of these last two theories that you say to me, I'm just going to disagree with just to make it yeah. combative, but this is not the one. I thought this... the, I thought the Fox one was going to get you because the Fox one I thought was just the fun one. That was fun, but it's you know fun, how to get yeah. me though. Fun ones, I'm, I'm on board okay. with Lord of the Rings, Lord <laughs> like that. That, so far, of your three theories is the most... By the way, not my theory. That's pulled from interwebs. Oh, so all, I didn't come up with are. it. Yes. We are, no, no way these are our theories. But this is the one I most believe. I don't think that... Uh, he's like one of the one of the wizards, one yeah. of the blue wizards. I don't think he's one of the Valar or none of that. I, I, none okay. of his powers make sense in that context. He is They're not the a, same. Yeah, he's that far above. I think he's above the the um, the Valar. I love this theory. Mm-hmm. I'm on board with it. I don't think my number three is going to top that. Mine is very simple, and okay. this one might not even be a theory. This is fact. I think I. <laughs> I don't mean that as an, in a joking manner as well. Uh, no clip for this one, but I don't mean that in a joking manner where this one I think is just, it's almost basically confirmed lore, I think. And I'm maybe, I don't know. You let me know here. But Galadriel's gift to Gimli, okay? This, okay. this is the theory, was that it was symbolizing something. The three hairs was symbolizing something. Yeah. And... Again, this is why I think it's fact. I don't know if this is just theory. This this might be basically it's basically confirmed theory. Where in Fellowship of the Ring, Galadriel gives a uh, gives parting gifts to the Fellowship, and to Gimli gives three strands of hair. This mm-hmm. happens. We all know this. Now, this is a very popular theory where there's some important backstory with this exchange, where it references there was a prideful elf character in the first age of Middle Earth named Feanor. 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 Yeah. And so you know about this theory then. Yes. It's basically fact, right? Where Feanor, it was the prideful elf who said he asked Galadriel to give him a strand of her hair, not just once, but three times. Feanor asked Galadriel three times. She turned him down every time. And when Gimli and the Fellowship came to her, Galadriel gave Gimli three hairs, symbolizing the three times Feanor what asked but didn't receive any, basically showing how worthy Gimli is, like three times as worthy as this elf and well not not just any elf Feanor yeah. at the especially in the beginning was the elf among elves he was like uh, the chosen yeah. one of elves and eventually he's the one that created the um oh god names are like, I can read these names I promise <laughs> I just can't say them I read them on a page silently but Feanor is one of the reasons why the, so he's the reason why the elves even left, um, mm. that they, they, they went to the Middle that, Earth. Um, right. He created the, um, the three. Help! Help me! Help me! The Melkor, three Melkor uh, stole yeah. the the stones. The pa pa, the pa the pa. Nope. Hurt. Oh, the, put it on the, the screen. Uh, uh, the word. No, 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 the, 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 it contains the light. The, it contains the light of Valinar. The 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 light of Valinar <laughs> stones. Uh uh Sphere uh, st- Stones of Feanor. The Simarils. Yeah, oh, God, we're I'm idiots. Idiot. We, I know we are idiots. it hurts. That that's bad. I know. There's literally a Simarillion standing the right there. I know. Oh, that's so this is such a I bad look. Far. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we both did. I know. Um, you did read some Marillion, though, so that's more on you. It is more I on I haven't me. read some Marillion yet. <laughs> anyway, but Fe- Feanor created the Silmaril. Uh, the Silmarils. Yeah. He, like, <laughs> that's that's near God-level status. And yet, Galadriel turns him down three times. It's like, she turns down even the greatest of all elves. Yeah. Could have been the greatest fall of but Gimli gets the th- so this and mainly because this is, you, her husband insulted Gimli and great so she's like okay hey I gotta smooth this over <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm gonna be extra nice especially do you, to, do you see what I mean with this theory is pretty much I mean this is what it means right yeah no it's it's supposed to be a symbolic the most significant bridge across from dwarves to elves yep that like hey an, her husband saying hey a dwarf is not worthy or, you know, not worthy to actually enter our lands. And right. Galadriel basically saying, not only are dwarves worthy, even this particular, dwarves are more than worthy of our friendship and our lands. And so right. something that even elves aren't allowed, 
she gives to a dwarf three times three times yeah. so that that's kind of the the significance yeah. is to smooth over the wrongdoings of her husband yes yeah, so that's a bit i think there's a step beyond theory of that's probably what tolkien intended yeah almost without a re- with zero reasonable doubt to say otherwise so now the more interesting thing about it is this was written before the silmarillion mm. and i mean we don't know because Tolkien has a bunch of writings, and he wrote some of these stories before he wrote Lord of the Rings, but he also wrote a lot of these stories and refined them after he wrote Lord of the Rings. So, which came first? Well, the story, e- with, story with Galadriel giving Gimli the three hairs, or Galadriel turning down Feanor three times? And I'm sure someone can actually answer that in the comments below. When exactly did um, Tolkien write that part of the, um, the Silmarillion? Got it. I'm so, not sure. theory confirmed, basically. Yep. Yeah, that, that one's there. Uh, my my last two are very much not confirmed. But okay. what about what about yours? What's your number four? Number four is actually still related to Tom Bombadil, but it's more of a just... It's a simple one. I mean, it's a simple conversation about okay. why... If we forget that uh, Tom Bombadil actually came from the creation of the world and is a uh, reflection of Ungoliant... Un- Let's forget that. And just imagine kind of more wizard tier. He's kind of like Gandalf. Okay. Why did the ring not affect him? Well, the theory is that the ring can only affect those those beings that acknowledge power at all. So any individual that wants to do something in the world, has desires, has any, has to acknowledge to a certain degree that you need power to get what you want. And so all beings that acknowledge that fact can be corrupted by the ring. Because even if it's the only reason the hobbits are more resistant is they have very little desires, but they still have desires. They still have... It requires power for them to protect their land. Like Second Breakfast. That's their desire. By the way, I think that's only a film thing. I don't think Second Breakfast is set in the books. I'm not sure. I I won't (laughs) take... I was about to just make a confident statement of saying, no, it was, and I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway... This point is that Tom Bombadil, through his own personality, that just Tom has everything he wants and requires no power to continue getting anything, has no desires because everything of his is met. And so he doesn't even acknowledge Mm. the power structure, that he doesn't even live in a power hierarchy. And so that's the reason why the ring has no effect on him. And he's the one individual in Middle Earth that doesn't even live in that kind of power scheme it's kind of of, yeah it's kind of like an odd oddity of i'm the only thing i'm thinking of is if you're outside of the food chain like when you're in the food chain everything is kind of encompassing that you're eat or eat be eaten and then once you're out you're it's the one individual out of that whole cycle and out of that whole mind of thinking so in our world would be us humans exactly we're outside of the food chain at this point so we're not affected by the food chain yeah. Just like Tom Bombadil being outside of power hierarchies and whatnot, he is not affected by corruption. Yep. That I think the best part about that theory is when you explain, hey, the hobbits are less, they are still corruptible, but it takes a lot more effort to be corrupted than a man because man desires power more and is more. And so when you have a more mythical being like a hobbit, simple shire folk with less desires, but desires are still there. It affects them less. And then what happens when this is to the extreme with Tom Bombadil having no desires? Basic, basically denying power itself. Yeah. The, denying its existence. And like Because when Tom goes around and sings away problems, yeah. it, it's not even acknowledging that he has the power and he he changes anything. He doesn't even say, like, I saved you. He, he, do, he just sings. He just sings and... <laughs> Things fall away. It's not even him even trying to do stuff. Oh, this is not And him good. influencing the world. Ugh. It's just the stuff happens. Yeah. It's not that he wants it to happen or he actively changes it. Just things happen. He doesn't have power in that. So it's almost him denying power in his own influence. Yeah. So that's yeah, why totally. any individual that could deny power's existence in entirety Damn could it. deny the ring. Yeah, this is. I told you I would di- I would disagree with one by the end of this video. Ha-ha. So whatever your five is, I'm just gonna be have such a vitriolic reaction. 
It's going to be oh, brutal. Oh, man, I saved, I've saved the most confirmed one for last. No! <laughs> then should I stick here and say you're number four, the Tom Bombadil one's wrong? Let me think. Well, what do you it, got? What do you, what makes, you got against it? Nothing. <laughs> it's so convincing. It's so compelling. <laughs> all right, how about you hear out my number four? Okay. This is this is what we've all been this waiting for. This is your for. favorite one. This is not just my favorite Lord of the Rings theory. It might be my favorite theory I've ever read. Okay. Uh, I'm tearing up a little. It's, it's the funniest theory I've ever heard. This is a. This is a. This this is a completely Lord of the Rings film theory. Okay. Okay. This is a film theory only, which some people tried to make it support it into the books. It has less credence there, but a little bit. A little bit to where like you could still believe it because it's never directly stated. Mm-hmm. Here's the theory. I hope you've never heard of this because it's the fun. I was cracking up when I read this. Okay, Frodo doesn't know Legolas' name. <laughs> <laughs> There's a theory that Frodo never once says Legolas's name. So famously in the Lord of the Rings movies, here's this clip of the only time Legolas directly talked with Frodo in the movies. Play this clip. And you have my bow. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's the only time Legolas directly talks to Frodo. And what confirms this theory even more? Check out this next clip, Rich. Okay. This is the best. So watch before you click play. Watch, watch Frodo's mouth. So Gimli, Legolas, and Aragorn come in the room. Watch this. Click play. Okay. So we're we're playing this now. And click. Okay. Watch this. So this is at the end of the movie, obviously. Gimli. Frodo, look, he says okay. Gimli yeah. with his mouth. And then Gimli's there, you hear him laughing. Watch this. Gimli comes in, reunion, Legolas turns a corner. Watch watch Frodo's mouth. Ready? Okay. Ready? Here we go. And Frodo's mouth. <laughs> and then look at Aragorn. 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 <laughs> he mouths. He mouths Gimli. He mouths Aragorn. But when he looks at Legolas, he just goes, oh. He doesn't mouth Legolas's name. He forgets Legolas's name because look at this. Here's the ad- other additional thing. I'm so passionate about this. Yeah. Additionally to this theory is in the books. He so in the books it's a little different. That's I I gotta calm down yes. in the books because it's they they interact more in the books and uh, it doesn't work as well. But in the movies, <laughs> in the movies it works and it's a okay. great theory. I love it. And here's here's another thing, an interesting comment from a redditor I'll put up here is he was saying uh, th- this is more movies and even a little bit books possibly. This redditor said, "I always thought Legolas purposely avoided Frodo due to the fact he knew what power the ring held, so he kept as much distance as possible in order to avoid its temptation." Legolas is an elf after all, and their culture is all too familiar with the history of the ring. It also could be for the maybe uh, Legolas knew the same as um, God dang it names hurt brain oh God, the other elf which elf friend of Gandalf uh, and Galadriel huh? help help me Elrond Elrond thank you oh you god, idiot god you couldn't name Elrond my brain doesn't work with names okay I, no Rich when I was asking you that question I was trying to remember the name okay. <laughs> I was going wait yeah I know who you're t- oh, Elrond <laughs> anyway how Elrond knew that basically said like hey look Frodo's gotta die like whoever takes the ring there is gonna die uh, and that's what he was telling Gandalf mm. maybe Legolas also uh, Legolas also knows mm. and deliberately keeps a distance because it doesn't want to form that kind of attachment Got to someone it. who knows he's he knows the ring bearer's gonna die right in the books they definitely do talk more there's uh there's a conversation they have and also mm. there's more implied conversations like they switch watch duty at one point and I mean, it doesn't, there's no dialogue quote there, but I they imagine when you're switching talk, to watch it, it's yes. like, hey, it's your turn. All right. It's my, they say something to each other. It's implied. Mm-hmm. So there's moments like that in the book. But for the movies, this theory is 100% confirmed for me. <laughs> Frodo doesn't know Legolas's name. How do you explain that? I, I think is how I always mess up names. I still mess up your name sometimes. <laughs> I can totally imagine it going like, oh, Justin, oh, Connor. <laughs> Oh, you! <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to offend them. It's like you—you died. You, you went to battle for me, and I can't say. Oh, oh how are you, <laughs> buddy, old pal? Ah, the guy with the bow. <laughs> uh, maybe did you see his mouth move like an O? 
You saw him yeah. say like, oh, maybe he was starting to say Orlando Bloom and he had to stop. Ah, uh, there you go. Like he was going or something <laughs> like Orlando, but stopped. I don't know. That, that's another theory I have. <laughs> so you can now click off the video. Okay. That was my favorite. That was my favorite theory. <laughs> I don't even want to hear your fifth theory. Let's end it with, okay. What, 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 what theory <laughs> yeah, is more theory? discussion? Oh, okay. By and the way, do you think you could top number four? No, that that was that was good. Yeah. My mine's not beat now. <laughs> My number five being. Beat. All right, what's your number five? Is that God actually interfered, and God is actually the one that destroyed the ring at the end. I am familiar with this theory. Okay, I am a li- not as much as you, as you probably went into depth research. I have heard this, and I'm pretty convinced by it. So, yeah, go, so go on with this. Yeah. So it is it is said both in the movies and the books that. Bilbo spared Gollum out of pity, and then later, uh, when Frodo and Gandalf are talking, uh, Gandalf tells Frodo that, you know, it, he thinks that it actually is a good thing that uh, Gollum still has another part to play in this story, and that it actually may be Bilbo's pity that has saved the world, or you know, ha- has a great influence on fate. And so, of course, you know, right, Gandalf was, is right because yeah, some some who live deserve death. And or no, many who live deserve some who die deserve life. Who are you to give it to them? Yeah. So, I can't say it exactly, but it's a great quote. Yeah. But Gollum does, and in the end, prove that fate uh, did have some another part for him to play in biting off um, Frodo's finger and dying with the ring. Yeah. And so the more confirmed theory is that nobody, not even Frodo, nobody alive could actually destroy the ring when you're that close that it is actually impossible to to give up the power of the ring and so god literally uh literally the uh literally eru uh eru con convene like created a plot and was like okay th- this ring's got to go sauron needs to go down and l- we I've tried being a hands-off parent with the elves. That didn't work so well. I tried being hands-off with, like, he tried being really interfering with the elves. Sorry. And being hands-off with men didn't work so well. And so he actually had to go in and take control and manipulate fate and go, okay, look, Gollum has to solve this. So God actually comes in at the end and saves the day. And not Frodo or not Gollum, but it's God. And... Part of the reason it's it's pretty convincing is Frodo Frodo doesn't actually destroy the ring. So it went, when you look at uh, Sam Sam being a hero, Frodo, they're all you know the heroes they do heroic things. But when it came down to it, even Frodo failed. Yeah, Frodo still didn't do it. It took an outside force. It took this chance. Could you call it luck? Could you call it karma? Could you call it God? Right. Well. Uh- Tolkien actually wrote in Ooh. on from his let, letter one ninety two in his letters published. Oh no, letters day. I know. Uh, Frodo uh, quoting J.R.R. Tolkien. Frodo deserved all honor because he spent every drop of his power of will and body, and that was just sufficient to bring him to the destined point, and no further. Few others, possibly no others, of his time could have got so far the other power then took over the writer of the story by which i do not mean myself that one ever-present person person capitalized p who is never absent and never named as one critic has said if you reread all the passages dealing with frodo and the ring i think you will see that not only was it quite impossible for him to surrender the ring in act or will, especially at this point of maximum power. That's no, Frodo failed. It is possible that once the ring was destroyed, he had little recollection of the last scene. But one must face the fact that power of evil in the world is not finally resistible by incarnate creatures, however good. And so this is more, mm. this is some of yep. uh, Tolkien's Catholicism bleeding into the book and his is on his own thoughts on morality of there being ultimate evil and that no matter how good you are you are still mortal and mortal men cannot fully conquer evil no matter how good you say you are 
I love that theory. And also, I, 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 this is why I think it's true as well, is Tolkien saying this. He also has said in other letters, I can't quote the letter because I don't have a pull up, but the, the letter basically says at, at first he was unconsciously, people's experiences influence how they write stories. And he was unconsciously including Catholic thinking into the work. Mm-hmm. unconsciously he didn't have direct allegories like narnia does he actually hates direct allegories he thinks narnia is crap he, c.s lewis was his buddy too there's there, we had a yeah. whole episode on jr Tolkien deep dive if you want to check that out so he he even said yeah definitely unconsciously things happened but then upon revision some things were rather conscious when he looked yeah. back and revo- revised some things so he definitely implemented some some christianity into the work well and it makes sense, and you kind of have to. When, whenever you write something, you're creating something. Your worldview of how the nature of good and evil work, of course, is going to affect a story. Yeah, I, your your moral compass is going to affect whatever you write. Yep. And the fact that he's Catholic, of course, it's going to affect it. Yeah, I, I think this theory has a lot, especially him saying that. It's almost, he's almost saying right there, hey. If, yeah. There's an entity involved here. But what are your that. thoughts? Does that does that um, put it, does that put a negative spin on it with uh, your thoughts on the story? Does it ruin it a little bit that Frodo isn't the one who actually saves the day, and that God had to step in as a Deus Ex Machina to ultimately destroy the ring? Absolutely not. Why? So? Absolutely not, because. Frodo, like Tolkien also says, Frodo is the only, one of the only ones that could have gotten to the destined point and mm-hmm. get it so that it's not like Frodo did nothing to get there. He got there so that the little extra boost could happen. And that so if if not for Frodo, it wouldn't have been destroyed. He needed to be the one as a part of the plot to get there. Only mm-hmm. he could have done it. So he is still a hero of the story. Sam is still a hero. All the sacrifices made are still worth it. But the message that this brings... And again, I'll, I'll give the caveat here of hey, um, trying to be religious right now. I'm currently, uh, I'm, so I'm not Catholic myself. I was raised Catholic and maybe I will be Catholic again in that. So I'm coming from a point of even if I'm not Catholic, the mm-hmm. moral of the story being, hey, as sinful and to not use that word to use non-religious, just, hey, as human nature can be evil, you know, humans make bad choices. We're not all perfect. That's a pretty, if you're religious or not, we're all we are all people who are flawed. Nobody is perfect. And so the message of the story being, no matter how good you are, no matter how far you come, you could go through how you could make all the sacrifices in the world and get there and still fail. And in this case, you need that, this mythical, amazing world that Tolkien created of Middle Earth that nobody could have done this, so the creator himself had to. That's how powerful this evil was. And sometimes the solution is outside of yourself. So. I, and all honesty, a more simpler simpler aspect of just Christianity. The, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Christians believe that the only way to conquer evil is with God. Man cannot conquer evil. God can. And God, so... Whatever you do, you're ultimately not able to conquer evil alone, that you need God. And so that's kind of the same thing, that Frodo needed God to ultimately conquer evil. Yeah. He can get most of the way there. He can do, he could sacrifice great, and God can't, you know, drag you up the hill. You know, he can't actually do everything for you. You have to sacrifice, but ultimately when the push comes to shove... You need God. Oh, that, that is the answer. But I'm giving the more non-religious answer mm. of, yes, you need God. And the, the Christian morality here, the morality of the story being you need God in this situation, even look at it from a human perspective, right? If, it, if you were good to go into the story and you're not Christian and why it's still a good moral, the story is humans are not perfect. You, we are flawed. Sometimes it takes, hey, even if it's not you solving it, everybody needs a, a support, you know, supportive family, supportive friends, whatever that being for is, whatever that is for you. You can't solve everything yourself. So in this case with the story of Frodo not being the all-encompassing hero who does it in the end and failing makes it even more of a human story and more real. That's why it's good. And with the addition of that being the religious message good, the just human message of the story is good. So whether you're coming from this from a religion sta- religious standpoint or not, it is still amazing. That's my point I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. So great theory. I love it. Man, why am I not religious? Is the question. <laughs> I need to. Uh, I went to church on Easter. You didn't join me. 
I, I you were busy. You were bit. No, you were busy. I was, I was sleeping. <laughs> you, <laughs> all right. So that is going to everything we just said there. That was a little serious, and it's going to be juxtaposed. But unless you want to say anything else, no, that was it. So I look like an absolute buffoon right now because your theories have been entwives. It's been Tom Bombadil and this guy, the god, the uru of of the entire world and how it's connected and how the harmony spoken, how God was implemented in the story and Frodo Consultant, this mm-hmm. very deep, all of your stuff has been very deep and lore building. And so my last one was Frodo forgot Legolas's name. Yeah. And my very Great last theory. one. I, I agree with you. On my, my fifth theory, I, I forgot how ridiculous this one was too because I love four so much. My last theory is Gandalf is a recovering alcoholic. I feel so bad that you put that effort in there. Just, <laughs> this is such a simple theory that I latch on I latch on to the simplicity, okay? This is how simple it is. And it's a film specifically again. Okay. So in The Hobbit, mm-hmm. Gandalf is organizing the party of the dwarves to meet at Bag End. When one of the party offers Gandalf a cup of fresh brewed tea, he declines and replies, I'll take a glass of wine. Mr. Gandalf, may I tempt you with a cup? Of chamomile. Oh, no, thank you, Roy. A little red wine. Which he is handed. Okay. When we arrive in fellowship, Gandalf is reunited with his old companion, Bilbo Baggins. When they meet, Bilbo implores Gandalf to try a fine wine laid down by Gandalf for the celebration. Gandalf replies, just tea, thank you. Tea? Or well, maybe something a little stronger. I've got a few bottles of the old Winyard left. 1296. Very good year. Almost as old as I am. Just tea. Thank you. Is that it? Is that all you have? So the theory is <laughs> when Gandalf first saw Bilbo and wanted wine 30 years ago, however, decades ago, and wanted wine, 30 years later, it's offered wine and says, no, I'll have just tea. Thank you. Gandalf is a recovering alcoholic. I regret all the effort I put into mine. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, I definitely front-loaded this with my theories that were more in-depth, and it just got lunacy by the end. So, what do you think about that theory? I'll, I'll be honest, that's the first one. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say probably not. <laughs> I liked your Legolas theory. Yeah, don't... Be, he's a wizard. I... Uh, why would he... Yeah, no. <laughs> No. <laughs> hey, he has a smoking problem. It's not a problem, though. <laughs> he's fine. He's, he's like sm- he's, he's a wizard. He lives. For, Do, doesn't Saruman make fun of? Sent by God to set to solve man's problem. Do, doesn't Saruman? Who? Someone says he needs to stop quit smoking, don't they? Or who says it in the story? I thought that was mentioned somewhere. No. Oh no, that's um. That oh, that no, that was uh, Saruman. Yeah, Saruman said basically that. the the. The, oh, Shire, the Shire's uh, tobacco. You're letting the, the Shire's tobacco get to your head and cloud your judgment. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got to say, of all the theories presented, that one is the one I don't believe at all. <laughs> but again, it's a fun theory. And that's just a film theory. All right. I think that's a good two to ramble episode. Yep. <laughs> Bye-bye, y'all. Bye-bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.